Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, episode 14. It's August 7th, baby. Anthony and I have a great lineup for you dudes this week. And before we jump into that, dudes, we posted on social media some mock-ups for our new cover art. And if you haven't noticed, the winner is on our new cover art for our show today. Thanks for participating. We hope you guys enjoy it. Before our first topic this week, football season is upon us. It's the best time of the year. For our second topic, we're staying in football, talking about the NCAA's realignment into super conferences. It's a move of epic proportions. And for our final topic this week, Fitch Ratings just downgraded the U.S.'s credit rating for the first time in over a decade. So I'm not starting anymore, Coach? And stick around for the second half of our show as Cameron and I had a great conversation with my dude, Dr. Colton Libke, orthopedic surgeon and sport medicine doctor. But before we throw this batch in the oven, Anthony, hit him with a great intro song, my dude. Let's get it. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning. But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics, because being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show, where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field, real dudes just like you. So sit back, grab a donut and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery. And for our first topic this week, Anthony, man, it's about to be the greatest time of the year. If you're like me, and if you're like my boy Anthony over here, it's football season, baby. It's upon us. Hey, man, I think we took a good time out, and now we're back at it. You know what I'm saying? It's ready to go. It's good stuff, man. It's an exciting time. Last week, we had Washington Redskins face off against the... Packers of Green Bay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody knows what we're talking about when it comes to coming to America. But, excuse me, the Jets faced off against the Cleveland Browns. So you got Aaron Rodgers coming out his debut, only taking a couple snaps for the Jets this past week. It's kind of cool to see him rocking the Jets uniform, man. You know, man, that's good for him, man. Good for him to make a move, and I think uh, he's going to be successful there. They've got a lot of young talent. Yeah, man. It, it, it'll it be interesting. Obviously, there's always the complaint that the NFL preseason is just kind of this, what do we even do it for? But you know what I really enjoy about it, though, man, and it really came out in the game last week, is, yes, you're not going to see what's going to be on Sunday in the regular season. Obviously, this doesn't count. But I have an appreciation for seeing the depth chart. You know, I, I think that seeing your depth chart seeing what could potentially be coming up if somebody gets hurt and just those people that are going to be rotating in and out as starters get gassed and things like that. So it's cool to see that. And the last part that I think is always interesting is you also have those lower tier practice team folks that are fighting for their livelihood right now, you know, and I, I can appreciate that type of fight. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, man. It- But dudes, check out the preseason this upcoming week. You've also got the Texans and the Patriots teeing it off on Thursday this week. 
with a full gamut of the rest of the NFL teams ready to kick it off weekend. Anthony, we'll get some pretty interesting topics surrounding this year's season, and we haven't even gotten into the season yet, right? Yeah, you're right, man. And, of course, the Cowboys are most hated. As of now, the Cowboys are always going to be uh, in the limelight for NFL. Yeah. So right now you've got some of this preseason stuff going on, and I'm not sure if you've seen it, but, like, Dak Prescott is uh, is under scrutiny for throwing picks in uh, practice. You got Trayvon Diggs, which is a, you know, I, I feel like he's a top 10 Q, uh, cornerback, and um, they've had – just some stuff that's going on in the media right now where Trayvon's basically pushing Dak saying, man, you got to do better because if you're throwing picks to me in practice, you just ain't going to cut it in the season. Yeah, man. Apparently Dak is, is kind of back at his last year's bane and that's uh, throwing picks. And so, you know, I, I can appreciate some team conflict, right? I can appreciate teammates trying to better one another I guess it just depends on how you go about that and understanding how your teammate's going to respond. I think Dak was a little teed off about it, but I think in the long run, hopefully those kinds of those things go and work well, that you have a teammate that's going to call you out, let you know what's going on. Well, you know, man, iron sharpens iron. I love that. So let's go get it. So that leads me to our, our next question. Obviously, you got fantasy football is about to be underway. I'm sure everybody's about to start kicking off their fantasy football, their pick list. But Anthony, you got a good list for us as to how we can help our dudes out this year when it comes to their picks. Absolutely, man. So if you're if you're into fantasy football and you're really liking, you know, you love the the game management and that sort of thing, and and here's your first round, right? So if you're in a league that uh, has 12 picks or 12 teams. Here's the picks that you need to get. And it doesn't matter what order they are because obviously, you know, you got to take what's best available. But here, according to fantasypros.com, here are the top 12 picks. One, you've got Justin Jefferson. Two, you got Christian McCaffrey. Three, you've got Jamar Chase. Four, Travis Kelsey. Five, Nick Chubb. Six, Austin Eckler. Seven, Cooper Cup, eight, Bijan Robinson, which is a very weird pick for me, man. He's he's a rookie, putting a lot on him to be number eight. I feel like uh, Big Twelve, man. They didn't really have a lot of defense in there, so you're gonna put a guy that has no, that's gone against zero defenses in your top ten picks. Okay, whatever. Setting it's setting a pretty high bar, for sure. Hey, that's yeah. You're setting this guy up for failure. Nine, Tyreek Hill. Feel Did, like that's kind of low. No, for sure. He's going to be points per reception, and he's going to get you those yards and touchdowns. 10, you got Derrick Henry. 11, you got Jonathan Taylor. And 12, you got Stephon Diggs. Sounds like a pretty sound list. There's a couple in there that I kind of wanted to jump in. I did jump in a little bit, but sounds like a pretty good place to start. And those guys are going to score you. Uh, they're going to get you the points on the on scoring touchdowns, and they're also going to get you receptions, H yards. So definitely go go with that list, I would say. Absolutely. Dudes, get ready for the NFL preseason. It's coming at you this weekend. Football is upon us again, like I said. Also, look out for September 7th, the first real game of the NFL season. You've got the Lions facing the Chiefs. you got your reigning Super Bowl champions facing probably one of the weakest teams of right. the league. Maybe they'll surprise us. Who knows? You never know. 
Dudes, we want to hear from you. What are you excited about this year? Hit us in our show notes. We'll have a link in there where it'll take you to our website where you can leave a comment about today's show, interact with the conversation. You can also email us info at donutswithdudes.com. And dudes, for our second topic this week, if you haven't been keeping up with college football over the past two years, there's a lot of big moves happening between conferences right now. And what we're seeing is a huge move to the SEC and to the Big Ten. Anthony, what do we got for, man? Man, that's right. So if you're really looking at things, like think about this, like some big movement last year was the move for Texas and Oklahoma to come to the SEC. Now, people were wondering, man, now what's going to happen with the Big the Big 12, right? But it's always been, to me, I always called the Big 12 the small 10 because since A&M left and Missouri left, they've only had 10 teams in there, but they were still called the Big 12. So, you know, for, uh, you know, humorous purposes or whatever, bro, I always called them the small 12. Well, especially now, I mean, you've got some history with championships, not only just in football, but in other sports too as well. I mean, OU just won the softball championship, you know. They're bringing a pretty big power punch to the SEC, and so that's caused some other conferences like the Big Ten to go out and do the same thing and find some other big firepower to create these super conferences, right? Yep. But now we've also got Colorado, Mr. Deion Sanders himself, right, joining the ranks of, of swapping and jumping back into the Big 12. It'd be yeah. interesting to see that. And now they should be called the Big 16, or if we want to call them the small 16, because now they're losing two teams to the SEC, but they're also adding in eight new teams. Yeah, man, you're absolutely right. And that's a little crazy, dude, because with the addition of Arizona, Arizona State, you got BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, Colorado, U of H, and Utah University, man. I mean, just think about that. Now you got 16 teams, but they were the uh, still called the Big 12 for, you know, what, 10 years and only had 10 teams. So I don't know if the name's going to change. Probably not. It's it's kind of, it's probably a marketing thing that they are probably going to stick to, but it'll be interesting to see how the eight former teams, which that, that make up the eight teams that are staying in the big 12. Well, so I guess six teams. Six teams. Wasn't West Virginia in there, or were they in addition with TCU? No. I, I forget, yeah. They were addition with TCU. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. It, it almost feels like outside of the SEC and the Big Ten, this is your, I guess, the third conference that is going to try to play in in, in the, the two super conferences of the Big Ten and the SEC. Man, one other notable thing is if I'm looking right now, I'm, I'm checking this out, and it's on three sports. Like if I'm on Twitter, I'm checking that out. They're showing this graphic, and, you know, as of right now, there's only four teams left in the Pac-12 out of these Power 5 conferences. You got one, the last conference, which is Pac-12. There's only four teams in it. You got Cal, Oregon State, Stanford, and Washington State University. Wow. Oh, man. That's crazy. You got four teams now. So what are you going to do? Like go find uh, some division twos or, you know, are you going to, I mean, how do you, how do you maneuver that 
it seems like the easiest thing to do would be for those four teams to go find someplace else to call home. Yeah, especially when it comes to regionality, being all being on the West Coast, mm-hmm. it'd be hard to join the forces of, you know, let's say the leftovers of the ACC because they're on the Atlantic side, the East side. So you have these this huge division on both sides of our country where there's going to be teams just kind of left out to rot almost because they're not a part of these major, they're, they're almost turning into corporations, right? It's where these big corporations are able to just kick out small competition because they're able to produce things cheaper, do things better. In this situation, pay your athletes better, right? It's almost like a scramble for all these other teams to come together and find placement and find roots. But Anthony was just mentioning the Pac-12, we just saw the likes of USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon pick up and leave. Arguably, the four best teams that were a part of the Pac-12 are all gone now. Yeah, you know, just geographically, it doesn't even make sense, man. I mean, now you're just going to be spending more on travel. Fans, less fans are going to be at away games and that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, economically, I see that being a nightmare. It's just like, okay, you know, I, I get it. Football programs are usually the breadwinners, uh, you know, for most universities. But I mean, now you're just going to be spending a lot of that on the travel. And hey, I'm sure they got a plan for it. But what do you think? This feels like big corporations banding together, making it less competitive. That's why countries like to stop monopolies, because once there's less competition, it's just worse for the consumer. I, in my opinion, I think it's not a good thing. You know what? It's just like AI. People don't like it, but you have to accept it because it is the new normal. Yep. You know, one notable thing too, if I'm looking at this right now with with the Pac-12, with only four teams, the ACC, I mean, they still got they still got 14 teams. So if you add those last four of the Pac-12, you combine them to the ACC, that'll be 18 teams. That kind of puts them back in the mix. And then now you're looking at a power four instead of power five. So on top of that, we also saw rumors of FSU also reaching out to the SEC and to the Big Ten too as well. Yep. So there's obviously, there's some schools that are disheartened with the ACC too as well. But I think what we're going to see, and I think what's kind of happening here, is moving into this super conference that we already are seeing the Big Ten and the SEC moving into, right? And you can even possibly even see these huge conferences of like 20 to even 30 teams And that just kind of morphs into the farm league to the NFL, right? Because then you just have a lower version of the AFC and the NFC, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? One of the biggest teams right now that hasn't been really approached, but I'm sure they they are, they just haven't been publicized, is Clemson. You know, we're looking at Clemson and and you you can't discount them in this conversation because they're going to be going to one of these big conferences and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the Big Ten. Yeah. To be honest with you. Well, Anthony and I have our theory as to what we think we'll see here in the future surrounding conferences, alignment, and how the whole entire college football season pans out. In our minds, we see a four super conference setup where you may see a interleague championship where that championship game is is host for the top four teams. And the top four teams will play into their conference championship. And then that will then produce 
your four players, or excuse me, the four teams that then go on and play in the national championship. So in theory, you basically have a four-round playoff that starts within the conference. Think of it like baseball, right? Where you have the regionals, your super regionals, and then those teams that, that prevail go on to the World Series. I think we can probably see the same thing with within football, where those 16 teams, the four teams that are the best out of each conference, play within their conference, and then the victorious team out of each conference goes on into the college football playoff. Could be one good theory. It's one of those ones that's just floating out there. Yeah, man, you never know, dude. It could be the, the Sweet 16. So you got four conferences with the four best teams, and let's see, let's let them duke it out. And then you're going to end up with the guys in the playoff. And, uh, man, I think it'll be good for, I think it's good for the sport, honestly. Definitely going to bring more revenue to the sport. Obviously, we're we're already seeing that with the NIL deals. So college football, look out for that. It'll be fun to watch. Anthony and I love it. Dudes, what are you guys excited about for this year? College football is upon us. Drop in the show notes. Who's your favorite team? Who's your alumni? We'd love to hear from you guys. We got a link in the show notes, again, where you can find us on our website, or you can email us, info at donutswithdudes.com. And for our final topic this week, dudes, last week, something historic happened that hasn't happened in over a decade. Might be a little bit of a snooze fest on this. However, last week, Fitch Ratings downgraded the U.S. economy's credit rating from a triple A, which is the top tier for where you want to be, down to the next level, a double A+. Guys, for layman's terms, if you're liking sports, just imagine this. You got your top player, right? And he's in the majors. And then guess what? Just based on performance, not out of injury and not out of rehab, he gets put down to AAA or he's got a, a double A assignment. So just think about it like that. But this is in terms of finances and, and debt, right? That's correct. So the markets on last Thursday actually responded in kind of a weird way. All three major indexes, the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Dow, all dipped off as soon as this credit rating kind of came out. It's kind of interesting how the markets respond to news, fear, uncertainty, doubt, FUD, also known as that. It's kind of interesting how those the kind of things can kind of turn the market. So they take the, it takes this major dip, but by the end of the day, it was in the green. Huh. And I think that there's a bunch of other people that are coming and looking at this credit rating, which, by the way, has not happened since 2011. So even through the pandemic, we, we still had a triple A credit rating, right? But here we are, and and they're saying this is all because of how everything just went down with our raising our de- debt ceiling, that there was just too much volatility surrounding American politics right now. You know, educate myself on this. I'm at NPR.org right now, and, and I can see something here that says, the U.S. had heldly proud the top-notch debt rating for decades, reflecting its status as the world's biggest and safest economy, one that has never defaulted on its debt obligations. That's hardly a a market meltdown, but it doesn't mean the downgrade is insignificant. Yeah, the U.S. leaves the likes of like Sweden and Norway and Germany, Denmark, a lot of the European countries that are at that rating. But again, 
didn't really do much for our market with there being a heavy hand of foreign investments in our stock market. You would have thought that that would have been a huge drop-off in the market, maybe even a huge sell-off. However, it didn't really impact our economy so much, at least on Thursday it didn't. And even a lot of big names like Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, came out and said that this is just absolutely ridiculous. Jamie Dimon is known for being the guy that got us out of the financial 2008 financial crisis. So this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. However, he did come out last year and say that by this time this year, we would be in a hurricane of an economic storm. But here we are. The economy is still going strong, Anthony. No, you're right. And you know, I guess from what I'm seeing now, it's just like more of a reputational hit against the U.S. over anything else because the markets really didn't suffer from this. And it's kind of like business as usual. It'll be interesting to see what the long-term effects are or how long it takes for us to get back to AAA rating, get back in the major league, just how Anthony put it in his, I like his, his analogy there. But dudes, is this move affecting your portfolio? Are you worried about this in the short term, the long term? We want to hear how this is affecting you or if you even care about it. Hit us in our show notes. You'll find a link there or email us info at donutswithdudes.com. We'll be back in a minute, but now a word from our sponsors. At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at homesparkcare.com. HomeSpark, we care for people. Well, dudes, we're in the bakery again this week, and we're obviously going to be joined by a expert that we have here with us today. His name is Dr. Lidke, and he is a sports medicine doctor. And so, guys, I'd like for you guys to welcome Dr. Lidke. Appreciate y'all having me today. Hi, right, welcome to the bakery. Absolutely. So, Dr. Lidke, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind just giving us a little bit more background into your profession, what you do in the day-to-day, and just a little bit more insight into your clinic? Sure. So I'm a orthopedic surgeon with a fellowship in sports medicine and shoulder reconstruction. So I do a lot of sports medicine, ACLs, rotator cuffs, those kind of things. Also still do a lot of joint replacements, knee replacements and shoulder replacements. So did a fellowship out in South Carolina, a place called Stedman Hawkins. And my mentors were some of the best shoulder surgeons in the country. And so I was pretty, pretty shoulder heavy, but still do lots of knees and shoulders and some hips as well. Um, you know, office-based, um, twice a week, operating room, two to three times a week. So that's kind of the rundown of a general week. You know, with getting older, it's obviously just kind of, you kind of hear as you get older and things just start hurting more and more. Oh yeah. I used to be heavy into the gym. I used to love working out. And then, you know, once I had kids, kind of slowed down for me a little bit. Now, when I try to engage in, in exercise, I just feel like something hurts constantly. Back, uh, shoulder pains, you mentioned, you know, you're working on a lot of shoulders. What are you seeing today, especially in men that are, that are active? What type of sports injuries are you typically running into? And are there things that we can do to make those things a little bit more preventable? Yeah. So when we start getting into this, you know, thirties and forties, I call it kind of the messy middle because you've got kids and they have sports and, you know, it's tough to find time to have the right nutrition. You're skipping breakfast, you're skipping lunch just because you don't have time. 
Um, so a lot of things that we run into in our age group is a lot of tendonitis. You know, we just don't heal like we did when we were 20. You know, as much as we think we're still 20 and feel like we're still 20 mentally, we just don't recover the same. And so that's a lot of the stuff we run into is more tendonitis in the shoulder and knees as well. So we're not, we don't really run into the arthritis quite yet, which is good, but this is the time period that you want to, you know, stay healthy, stay of a good weight to kind of prevent that issue down the road. That's definitely something that's packed on to me over the years is, is the wrong kind of weight yeah. too as well. So no, it's definitely not helpful. You know, you're doing the college sports stuff. You do the trauma stuff too. Do you have any stories that maybe you can share with us that's something that guys would like to hear about? Yeah. So sports medicine world, you always have your ACLs and those kind of things. And we have, I mean, every football season here at AM, we have big injuries that are season ending injuries. Um, I'd probably say the most interesting thing was probably back in my training. I did training up in Fort Worth at a big level one trauma center and we had tons of trauma. One time on July 4th where we were operating almost 24 hours straight just from people rolling in, we had, we had a guy come in that got run over by a train and survived and he got both legs cut off, his left arm cut off and spent time on that. We had a guy that was driving an 18-wheeler through town, so through Fort Worth, there's I-30 comes through there and I-20 come through. And so there was a guy driving an 18-wheeler and a piece of rebar comes through the floorboard and impales, goes through his foot, through his tibia and gets stuck in his tibia. And so end up taking that out. He ended up getting bad infections in there, gets rods in his tibia and everything. Those are, I mean, that was pretty common that that kind of stuff happened up there. And then you have your, you know, your knife and gun club is what we call it. You have gunshot wounds and knife wounds, stabbings and all that kind of thing. So um, there's all kinds of stories from from residency that was just crazy. We had a guy come in on a motorcycle, went off the road and got his arm cut on a fence post and basically totally ripped his arm off. There's not much you can do for that. You just kind of sew him up and, you know, get a prosthetic and that kind of thing. It's just terrible, terrible, terrible injuries you see when you're in, you know, that level of trauma. Yeah. Man, so I've always wondered if I ever saw something like that, that traumatic, man, I, I'd fall to the floor. I mean, getting through three pregnancies with my wife was... I mean, probably the the worst experience for me because I, I just I just I don't I don't do well with that. Yeah, just are people just built differently? Just I guess when they when they see things like that, what did it take? I mean, when you first jumped into surgery, was it something like, man, this is going to take a little, little bit of getting used to? Or were you like, ah? No, nah, it was just like another day. I mean, I grew up hunting and fishing, and yeah. I don't know how many deer I'd skinned by the time I got to to medical school. So it was it's just you know everything's covered. It's just a leg there, you know. Um, the, the first thing that really caught me is in medical school, we take, everybody takes an anatomy course, um, and the whole body, you know, it's all donated to science and that kind of thing. So it's, you kind of go one body part at a time and the time that we were dissecting the face was, that was like, well, it's kind of different. It's kind of different. So outside of that though, you know, everything's very isolated. You go into it, you know, you're, you have your plan and your goal is to, execute that plan to the T and be so detail oriented that you really don't think about anything else, but getting that job done. You ever, uh, you ever read any books like extreme ownership? Oh yeah. Things like, you know, yeah. Machaco, yeah. 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 That's a great book there. That's a great book. So like, uh, you know, with, with some of the ortho stuff that you're doing, what are some of the most common sports related injuries that men often encounter during their fitness routines? And, you know, how do you, uh, kind of treatment do you do for those guys to get you know recover quickly yeah so the good thing about about kind of exercise injuries it's it's hardly a traumatic like 
I was doing something, I tore my rotator cuff, unless it was something crazy. You know, you're doing shoulder press and it gets caught behind your shoulder and drops or something like that. Usually it's an overuse deal where you don't give it enough time to rest. So basically anti-inflammatories are great. Ice is great. And then about six weeks of rest. If you give it six weeks of rest, most soft tissue injuries are going to heal. Problem is, is that once, once we're into working out, we love working out. So we don't stop. We kind of adjust and cope with it. And it just kind of lingers and lingers and lingers. Um, that's the big thing about guys that do a lot of workouts is they just, we just will not take time to rest it for six weeks. It's really just not in their DNA. Mm-hmm. I tell you, man, I, I think I went through something, uh, probably in December where I felt like, um, I had like turf toe from just doing a lot of cardio. Right. right? And then I still was still doing it. Cause I'm like, I'm going to keep working yeah. through this just cause the way I felt. And then I realized, you know what? I needed probably to do some low impact stuff. So I started getting on a bike over yep. there and just trying to rehab it as much as I could. And I still think I went too early to get back on, you know, back on a treadmill on hard to do. Yeah. I think I tore my labrum probably six months or so ago doing some in a little bit heavier incline. Um, and basically what I did is went from barbell to more dumbbell still hurt. I just kind of fight through it after the first couple of sets, it kind of warms up and you get through it and still able to do your exercise. But the next day you're like, man, this is, this sucks. It's stupid. You're an idiot, man. Yeah. You know, all the right things, just tough to pull that trigger. Right. Just tough to be disciplined to give yourself that time to heal. Yeah. I've always said, you know, working out is, uh, one part, obviously the physical part, but the other part is the mental part, right? Knowing when to stop. Obviously there's overtraining too, as well. For me, anytime I start an exercise program or restart back up, I guess I could say, I'm going right back in. I'm trying to throw as much weight on that squat bar or squat rack. I'm trying to throw as much on that, that bench press. And it's, it's all up here, man. But it's, it's, it's hard to not let that get the best of you. Right. And yeah. Sometimes it's hard to change that mentality when you go from heavy, heavy weights. There, I mean, there's at this point for me, there's really no benefit to be able to bench 350 or anything like that anymore. You know, you mm-hmm. can be strong enough to do my job and try to look good naked. And that's about the only two things I want to do. Yeah. Amen to that, so. man. There was a meme on, on TikTok where there's a guy working out. She's like, so why do you work out? Just to look good during sex. He's like, you, you don't do it for your, your heart? No, just to look good during sex. That's it. <laughs> you bring up a good point because kind of going back to what I was saying is maybe there are certain exercises after a certain age, like, hey, you know what? Maybe we go to a, a modification to this exercise at this point in time. Or is there anything like that? Like, hey, man, you know, once you start reaching 40s, hey, let's start doing power cleans or something like that. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of, I wouldn't say that there's an age, so to speak. Um, for example, talking about knee arthritis, knee arthritis is extremely prevalent. You know, I'll see 40 people a day in clinic and 25 of them or so have knee arthritis. And it ranges anywhere between 50s to, I mean, some people are 80s. Once you start to get certain conditions like knee arthritis, it responds to impact stuff. So once you start to have that knee arthritis, you have that diagnosis on x-ray. Low impact exercises are key. You know, bike, elliptical, swimming, walking is fine. You just don't want to start doing box jumps or, you know, depending on if you have that arthritis just under the kneecap, stairs or, you know, flexion activities will cause your problems. Low impact activities are by far will protect that knee and slow the progression down long term. Um... You know, if you're talking about shoulder arthritis, you know, the heavy bench press, you know, people will adapt. The best thing you do if you know you have shoulder arthritis is start doing dumbbells and you'll be able to feel that or determine where that quote unquote slot is with your elbows, whether it's wide or narrow, that it really didn't bother you much. And so those are the things that can slow that progression. Right. Uh, specifically of effort. Basically, kind of just listening to your body too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So whenever I do it's like a good chest workout or, you know, whatever, and I'm like sore the next day, is that more DOMS or I got some arthritis things going on? Yeah, so DOMS is, is, DOMS, so it's, it's more muscle stuff. So if you're feeling your muscles, it has nothing to do with arthritis. Arthritis is only in the joints themselves, and that's basically what it means, inflammation of the joint. Um, so if you're feeling it more in your joints that are aching, that could be some arthritis. If you're feeling it all the muscle, around the muscles, like if you can push on it and it's sore, that's not arthritis. Gotcha. So like I'm right here. And I'm like, man, you know, I slept weird the next day or that night. And I'm like, waking up feeling weird. Could be, could be a shoulder, could be. I mean, it could be muscle, it could be a little slap injury. It could just be a little soreness from working out. It could be a hundred different things. Right? Yeah. You'd have to get a good exam and really pinpoint it down. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> We've got a, a chiropractor in our family and you can tell the look on his face anytime we ever have like Thanksgiving or Christmas at their house. He, It's like, you know, it's coming like, Hey man. I got this issue in my back. Can you, you think you can, do you encounter that a lot with your family? Oh, like, yeah. Not as much family anymore. Um, friends, all I get texts. I mean, literally every day I'll have either a friend or a friend or, you know, somebody sends you a text message or if you're out, um, they'll catch you. Hey man, you, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And so it's kind of second nature by now. It doesn't bother me at all. It's kind of, kind of neat to have people that ask for your opinion sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Comes with the territory, right? Right. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, we're, I, I'm a nerd when it comes to, to technology, things that are going to be happening here in the future. Obviously, we're living in a day and age where things are just moving so rapidly. Artificial intelligence, we're, we're, we're living with that now, and that's an inevitable thing. How do you see technology affecting your field of work? And are there anything kind of, I guess, technologies or whatever it may be that could be new coming out in your field that you're excited about and that can make either the patient life a little bit easier or and or yours too as well yeah so the big thing now in orthopedics is robotic stuff um robot, robots and orthopedics are just been around you know 10 years or so which hasn't been really really heavily um utilized um there's newer studies now that show it really doesn't matter if you use a robot or don't use a robot the outcomes are pretty much the same however um i've been using it's not necessarily robotic, but it's called GPS technology. Basically, when I'm doing certain shoulder replacements, we'll use this technology um, that it attaches to one of the bones outside the shoulder, and you can map out the whole shoulder. And so when you're doing the replacement, especially the socket side, that's probably the most important part of this, the surgery. When you're doing the socket side of the clinoid, it allows you to put your implants to the millimeter and to the degree of where you want it. And it really plays an effect if you have a lot of deformity. People have had terrible arthritis for years and years, and the bone is basically eroded partly away, or instead of having a native, you know, glenoid or straight socket, it's tilted 20 to 30 degrees. This takes the guesswork out of finding that. And I've been using it now probably five years, but over the last two or three years, as I've, you know, gotten more complex shoulder stuff, it's really come into play. And that's something exciting. And you're starting to get AI come into, not necessarily the surgery part just yet, but it's, it's coming. Mm. it's coming is that the uh da vinci arm or is that the right so the da vinci is a different kind of surgical robot like OBGYNs and general surgeons use a lot of that um you know there was one for knee stuff called mako out of this company called striker that makes that we've used some of that um there's newer robots coming out on the market here pretty soon too or, that are currently on the market that we're actually looking into getting over at the physician center so um, we'll see if that kind of comes to fruition or not, but you know, but yeah, the robotic stuff has been a big thing. It's becoming bigger and bigger. Nice. Sure. Do y'all, do y'all sell that to the patients? Do you say, or do y'all, do they even know? 
Yeah, so I talked to them, especially when I do my shoulder replace. I said, hey, we know because you have to, we need to do a CT scan before. Not everybody does that for their shoulder replacements. Um, we say, hey, we need to get a CT scan because we have this technology available. It's not that you need it on every patient, especially the ones that their anatomy is pretty normal. You don't need it to do a great shoulder replacement. Uh, we have it there and it's neat to use, uh, but it doesn't really, doesn't cost the patient anything. Um, sometimes with robotics, it will cost the patient an extra. I tell them that we have that capability there, but everybody hadn't really done a good job of marketing it or anything like that, but maybe, maybe should. So it's pretty, pretty neat technology though. Nice. So you just want a quick question before we wrap up, you, you touched on, you know, there hasn't really been a difference in outcomes when it comes to AI or machine learning technology versus, you know, outcomes from human surgery, yep. right? Where do you think the discrepancy or the discre- yeah, the, the discrepancy is between the technology being able to get to the point to where we do have more conducive outcomes? I think it's a great question, but I, th- I think if you look at these studies that are coming out, these are from people that do hundreds of, say, taking knee replacements where all the most of the studies from robotics versus non-robotics are. If you take these studies are done at these the places that those of us that do, you know, 100 knees a year, 100 shoulders a year, that you are very good at knowing where things are supposed to go and you know the feel. Mm-hmm. And so where I think the robotics really plays a key factor, one, if there's a lot of deformity, two, if somebody is just out of training and they just don't have that world experience to know, you know, what that is supposed to feel like or what's that supposed to look like, that's where I think it kind of gets the biggest benefit. So I'm not sure if the robots will ever get to the point where it's going to be significantly better than a well-trained surgeon's hands, you know, because it's just tough to, to reproduce that experience that they have. Other thing too, the robots aren't going to be perfect. So you got to know, is this look right or is this not look right? Mm-hmm. And so you have that human factor that you've got to look at. It's like, uh, this really doesn't look right. I don't know if our sequencing's off or something like that. Uh, you just, you have to, that's sort of that detail orientation, being detail oriented kind of comes in. You have to know the pitfalls of that technology too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a, a pretty big uh, listener base of, they've got baseball guys. Yep. Do you have any uh, tips or suggestions or advice for these guys that want to arm care, shoulder care, anything? Yeah, like that? so I do a lot with A&M baseball. And so I see a lot of, one, the injuries, two, their, their rehab, recovery processes, their surgeries. And I see a large population of throwers in clinic being mainly shoulder-based, you know, do Tommy Johns and repairs and those kind of things. Um, every year I see a lot of kids with little leaguer shoulder. Basically what that is is the inflammation of the growth plate from too much throwing. And I, I mean, we have some great clubs around here that do a great job with arm care. The problem that we get into is their warm-up is fantastic. They're on bands. It's not the warm-up. It's the number of throws over a season. And these kids, you know, they'll play pitcher and catcher. And, you know, so their throws are double. It's not really the, it's not the warm-up. It's not the band work. It's the time to recover between. And so that's the thing we run into the biggest is the kids just don't have enough time to recover the things. And so I, I review for this major journal called the Journal of Shoulder and Elbow Surgery. And they send me a lot of the baseball articles. A lot of them come from Japan. So you know, of course, you know Japan and baseball. And so what they have found is the biggest benefit to these kids, these younger kids, anywhere from you know my, my boys five all the way up to, to high school, is to take three to four months off a year from throwing no throwing for three to four months. And so that really, really limits it. Now, sometimes, you know, I have dads that come in all the time. I had a kid that was 12 or 13 a couple of years ago that he had a little injury to one of the bones in his hand. Okay. Like it's called a little, a handmate is one of the bones in the hand. Sometimes you can get a little fracture and the kid had a fracture. He's 12 or 13. 
completely perfectly aligned. If we went and did surgery on it, we could not make it per- more perfect than it was. Well, about six weeks before that, we operated on an A&M player. Similar injury, but his was displaced. So parents don't know that. So you just know, hey, we just fix this kid's hand. He's a Division One athlete and wants to get back faster. And I had an argument with dad saying, this kid's 12 or 13. He has a better chance to heal this thing than anybody in the cast for four weeks and he never has to worry about it. And so that's the, that's the other thing is we got to keep it in our minds. I know we think our kid's going to be, you know, the next AM baseball player, next D1 athlete. Kids, let kids be kids, you know, don't do more damage. And so I've been working on this book called The Epidemic because basically talks about, you know, how we're overthrowing kids and what injuries are, what to look out for. I have a buddy up in South Lake. His kid was eight and he was going to sign up for a travel team and their travel team played, was planning on playing 60 games a year. That's like an A&M schedule. All right. That's like one of our, that's like our, our A&M guys play 60 games a year. So for an eight year old, it's just, just crazy. So, but I feel like we've kind of done it to ourselves. You know, we've got all these select teams, which are fantastic. The coaches are fantastic. It is run a, like a legit program. Um, then we're going to play a little league. And so we feel like we have to keep our kid in it to get that, that to stay competitive, right. so to speak. And I mean, that's just the way that it's kind of gone. So we just got to be cognizant of, hey, kids need some rest on that arm as well. So we play a lot of perfect game and, and they are uh, real strict on pitch counts. Yeah. You don't want, you know, they don't want you throwing more than like 80 in a weekend. Yeah. And, and they even go to outs too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I see the, I see the importance there that they're really, you know, focusing on just making sure that your kid doesn't overwork himself and that the coaches aren't just trying to get a, a dub somewhere by right. this guy overthrow himself. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just pitch count. It's a number of throws per week. You know, they might have three practices a week and they're taking a hundred throws during practice from third base to first base or shortstop or from outfield in. And then just all those throws mm-hmm. accumulate. Yeah. So rest is good. Rest is good. Rest is, rest these little ones. Yeah, absolutely. But Dr. Lickie, there's one question that we like to ask everybody, and this can, the answer can be pertinent to your field, or it can just be anything that you feel like, as far as life advice that you've ever been told, or something that you adhere to as far as a value goes. There's just any, if you could give one piece of advice to dudes listening, something that kind of sticks with you, what would that be? I think the biggest advice I would have to give is just be disciplined in what you do. Whether it's nutrition, whether it's work, you know, it's, I mean, anything that is worth doing is hard. I mean, hardly anything is going to come easy. If it's easy, everybody will do it. You know, that cliche, um, whatever you're going to do, you've got to be disciplined. It's, you know, it's tough to work out in the morning. If you're going to get up early, go to work out. It's tough when you've had a grind of a week and it's Friday afternoon or Thursday afternoon and happy hours calling your name to be able to go to that gym for just 30, 45 minutes, you know, you just got to be, I think discipline plays a key in success. Yeah. I like that one. I agree. Yeah. Well, dudes, I think that that's probably a really good one to adhere to. And, and we're grateful for Dr. Lickie for stopping by in the bakery this week to get, bestow some wisdom on us and share some of his ex- experiences. And hopefully you'll join us again here soon. Absolutely. Anytime, right. fellas. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Well, dudes, that's it for our show this week. Special shout out to our expert, Dr. Colton Lickey, for stopping by in the bakery to discuss sport injuries and how we can prevent those injuries when we're in the gym. You can find more about Dr. Lickey at his website at www.bcsortho.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Dr. C. Lipke. 
As always, you can find more of our content on our link tree at Donuts with Dudes. And shout out to everybody that took the time to vote on our new podcast cover art. And dudes, if you want to join the conversation, we always have a link in our show notes where you can go on our website and request a shout out or join the conversation by emailing us info at donutswithdudes.com. Dudes, remember our mission is to make men better and smarter each week. So if you get a chance, go ahead and share this with some friends. Until next week, take care of yourself. We'll meet you back in the bakery for the next batch of fresh hot topics.